You are now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Good morning. You are a lively group today, I can tell. It's good, because we're finishing up this series entitled, I Love Charity. I saved the best message for last. And boy, are you in for it. Talking about giving today. Yeah, aren't you disappointed you showed up? Yeah, ah, the preacher's talking about money again. Yes, I am, because I know how big of a strong grip money has on me, and I'm sure that there's a few people out here that are struggling with the same thing occasionally. So what I do know is this. When I was growing up, I would hear preachers get up and preach, and they would say, you can tell a lot about the priorities of a person by looking at their calendar and their checkbook. And what I've realized is that that illustration does not go very well anymore because if you're under 40, there's a good chance you don't know what a checkbook register is or you don't use one, okay? Those of us who are over 40, we live by it. That's my budgeting device, okay? Um, We live by that. So I thought about this. What if we looked at a chart of your spending? And I put pie chart, but I don't know why I changed it. But what if we looked at a pie chart of your spending. I think we understand what a pie chart is. And I said that kind of before service this morning, I was kind of going over the introduction and, and all. And, uh, the guy, Randy, who plays percuss- percussion, uh, he said, I don't know much about a pie chart, but I know a lot about pies. <laughs> so what if we were to take your spending habits, okay, your, your financial picture and put it up here in the form of a pie chart, What kind of story would this pie chart tell about your life? What would it tell about my life? If my pie chart were to be put up here, and Randy said if it was a a real pie, that would be his portion right there. The 30% of the pie would go to Randy. But what, what what would it tell about us? What would it tell about our priorities and where our money goes and what we value the most. For most of us, you know, it'd be a, a large portion of it would be our debt, you know, and trying to pay off the house, pay off the cars, pay off credit cards or whatever. But I just wonder what percentage of it would be designated to our giving or our generosity? What percentage of it? Now, I do a lot of premarital counseling and a little bit of marriage counseling and um, some financial teaching on the side a little bit. And, and what I know about people is when you start talking about this area of giving and generosity, there's a strong desire that a lot of people have that the majority of their financial picture would be in generosity. They would love to be able to give more money away because at some point along the way, There's a story being told about our life. And at the end of the story of our life, what story would we want told about our life? And our finances and our our financial picture oftentimes tells a real story about how we prioritize life in general. So let me just ask you this. What if all the money that you ever gave away, all the money that you ever gave to whatever charity, to your church, to whatever it was, what if at some point in life, like right at retirement, all of that money was suddenly put into a checking or a savings account for you? Wouldn't that be cool? For some, you're like, eh, it wouldn't be a lot. <laughs> for some, you're going, that's, that could be my retirement plan. And I'm not saying that's the way God works, but I just thought, what, what if? 
What if we, we, our whole life we give and the proportion that we give toward that, at the end of our life, it was put into an account for us to live on and God just miraculously gave it back. What, what, kind of, what kind of picture, what kind of story would that tell? And I believe this as a pastor, that giving is one of the most important personal disciplines for a Christian to get right. For, for, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, I believe when it comes to giving, this is one of the most important things for us to get right. And you would say, of course you would. You're, you're the preacher. That's exactly what you would say. But let me just tell you this. There's more to it than just that. And I would say that number one, Jesus emphasized giving. If you read through the, the life of Jesus through the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to find that Jesus emphasized giving so much. As a matter of fact, there was a rich young ruler that came to him one day and wanted to be one of his followers. And you know what Jesus told him? If you're going to follow me, then you need to go and sell everything that you have and give it away. And you know what happened in that story? The man went away sad, not because he couldn't become a follower of Jesus. It's because the stuff that he had had a bigger grip on him than his desire to follow Jesus. And I'm not saying they're, they're two exclusive things as far as like you can't be a follower of Jesus and struggle in this area. But Jesus knows that our money has a big, strong hold on us. We want to live the American dream. We want to be proud of all that we have. And we want to accumulate as much as we possibly can. And Jesus knew that this was always going to be a struggle for us. Which one had the loyalty, him or our money? And here's what Jesus said. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I know that wherever your money goes, your heart is going to follow. And that's why he wanted us to prioritize generosity and giving in our financial life. But not only did Jesus talk about it, the early church prioritized it. Jesus emphasized it, the early church prioritized it. In Acts chapter two, verse 45, as the church was growing, they were selling their possessions and all of their belongings, and they were, or not all, but their possessions and belongings, and they were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So they, this early church, there was, a, there was a message of the gospel. The story of Jesus was still fresh on their minds. And we're talking just a couple of decades after the resurrection, this early church is just booming. It's blowing and going. And Luke's recording what's going on. And, and they were so, they thought it was so important that everybody know the message. They were willing to sell what they had and give it to people who had needs so that the message of the gospel could be heard more clearly. So Jesus emphasized that the early church prioritized it. And then Paul encouraged it. Paul in his writings encouraged it. And we're going to look at a passage today in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So if you have your Bible and you want to open up, if you don't, it'll be up here on the screen for you. But 2 Corinthians chapter 8, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. Now, Paul is going to give us in this passage, we're going to look at nine verses today. And as I was meditating, studying through this, reading upon this passage, there are 14 different motivations that Paul gave to giving. 14. Now, I'm not going to get them all. I reduced my list down to 12. So we got a lot of ground to cover today. But we're just going to read through the passage. I'll make some comments. But let me just tell you a little bit of history. The church of Corinth, Paul had written 
the letter number one, we've got letter number two. And in his first letter, in chapter 16, there was a collection that was being gathered up to be given to the saints who were in um, the, the area of Galatia. And so the church of Corinth had promised to give money to this collection. Because the church in Galatia, they were needing some help financially. And so they were collecting money. And Paul would just go by or Timothy would go by and they would pick up the collection and then they would deliver it to the church of Galatia. Well, apparently the Corinth church had not kept their end of the bargain. They had not lived up to their their, their vow or what they had obligated themselves to. So Paul writes another letter to them, this second Corinthians and part of the letter, he's dealing with them falling short on what they had um, pledged to give. And so here's how he starts in second Corinthians chapter eight, verse one. We want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now the churches of Macedonia included Thessalonica, Philippi, and the Berean church. And so he's what Paul is very clever at doing, just like your second grade teacher probably did, um, is what he'll do is he'll dip over here and he'll find a Christian or a church that's really doing it right. And what he'll do is he'll just start talking about how great they are. And then the church that's not getting it right, they look at that and they go, oh, that's a good example for us to follow. And so Paul, this is like your second grade teacher would say, look how good Billy is this morning as he's sitting there so quietly while Marty is over there just being raucous and everything else. So I'm looking over there and going, I need to be like that. That's kind of the logic Paul's using here. He's going to look at the church of Macedonia and how things are going for them. And this church of Macedonia, was, they were in an area, these churches of Macedonia were in areas that were experiencing heavy persecution. Lots of persecution for their faith. And Paul's saying, I just want you as a church of Corinth who missed it with the church of Galatia, I want you to see how the churches of Macedonia are doing, and we're going to use them as an example. And this is going to be your motivation for giving. And here's what he says. There we go. Oh, went too far. Sorry. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So this idea of grace. So what Paul is saying, he says, I want you to know the first motivation for this church of Macedonia to give was that was motivated by God's grace. Now, God's grace in and of itself should motivate us to do a lot of things. I mean, what is God's grace? It is unmerited favor toward you and me. God favored us, not because we deserved it, but because he is graceful. He is benevolent. He is a giving and loving God. And the churches of Macedonia were generous and giving because of God's grace. They understood that God had given them something they did not deserve and they had never earned it. So out of that grace, they determined that they were going to be a generous body as well or generous churches as well. And everything that you have and everything that I have is only by God's grace. If you think that you got here because of something you've done, listen, God can take it all away. Look at Job. Look at the story of Job. Job is a very successful man. He had riches. He had homes. He had everything that a man could have wanted. And in an instant, God took it away. And his heart revealed that his stuff did not matter as much to him as God did. And so we got to understand everything that we have is by God's 
grace. And we should respond by obediently giving back and giving to the things that are important to him. He goes on, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So this early church, they were, uh, they were um, experiencing a lot of affliction and a lot of poverty. Anybody ever experienced poverty? Oh yeah, a lot of us in here have. You've gone through it. You've been to the lowest of the lows. You've been to the place where you go, I don't know what we're going to eat other than just whatever we can scrounge up and find in the pantry. And we've been to the place where you just, you're just, you know, back in the day, I remember going to the gas station when you could get gas for like a dollar, dollar fifty, something like that, back in the good old days. And I remember going and just didn't have much money at all, just so poor. And I knew the paycheck was coming like on Sunday for me, you know, like on the weekend. And so I would go and I'd go, I think I can get by with just five dollars. And I was afraid the pump was going to go over by a penny because I don't know that I had another penny in the car. And so you remember those days in this church, they were experiencing affliction and extreme poverty. But you know what? It never stopped their giving. So the second thing I want you to see is that giving should not be hindered by difficult circumstances. And you go, oh, well, that's not very, that's not very loving. That's not very kind. Listen, what I know is that when Tracy and I were young married, we were po on a different level, okay? I mean, we were, we were really po. When we first started out in ministry, we were raising a little, our daughter, and man, we were, just, we were just scraping to get by. We made some bad financial decisions, unwise things, and man, we were just trying to make ends meet. But I remember this, that we always, without exception, made sure that we gave at least, and in that day, it was to the penny, 10% back to God through the church, Always, It was a discipline of ours from the very beginning. And when we would do that, every time, not every time, but oftentimes we would do that. And what we were saying is, God, we're going to make sure we're faithful in our giving because we know that everything that we have comes from you anyway. And so this little 10% out of our budget is not going to be huge. But God, we know that we're relying upon you to provide for us and to make that 90% stretch further than it would have. And as we have grown in our faith and we've grown in our knowledge and understanding of the Lord, we've increased that many times over percentage-wise because we always want to be reminded that everything that we have comes from God and we want generosity to flow through us as much as it possibly can and never be hindered by difficult circumstances. Because if we ever think that, that if I just have this much money, I'll start giving, or if I can just get this done, I'll get, start giving, it won't happen. Money habits do not change with the more money you have. They don't change. They just get magnified. If you're stingy with the little, you'll be more stingy with the lot. It's just the way it works. And that's why Jesus emphasized this so much. He's saying, because your, your money is where your heart is. And I can see where our heart is by where our money flows. And so he wants us to make sure that even in difficult circumstances, our hearts are connected to God because we depend upon him so greatly. He goes on. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So even in their, in their extreme affliction or test of affliction and extreme poverty, they still gave out of a joyous heart. Giving should be a joyous act. Several years ago, I took a youth group from Louisiana when I was down there, and we went to a church, and we were there over a Sunday. And the guy got up there 
to, to do the offering talk. And whenever he got up there, he says, hey, this is the time of the service that we worship through giving. And it startled us because the entire church started applauding and shouting. Just like we do for a baptism, they did that during the offering. And I'm thinking, whoa, that was, that was odd because you just don't normally see that. But they had understood that God loves a cheerful giver. He loves somebody who gives because they are joyful about it. And this church, or the, the Macedonian churches, realized what God had done for them and that they could just give because they were glad to do it. They were glad to contribute to the things of God because of what God had done for them. He goes on, in this whole severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed and a wealth of generosity on their part. Wait, they're in affliction and poverty, but yet they're extremely generous. This overflow of generosity, this wealth of generosity, even in the poor churches of Macedonia? Yes, exactly. So giving is evidence of generosity. We, now, Barna did a study a few years ago, a couple of years ago, actually, I think it was actually maybe last year. They did a, a study on it, and they studied the different generations, and they studied the different, you know, we got the Gen Zs, we got the Xers, we got the, the millennials, we got the, the boomers and the busters and the elders, we got all the different ones, and they did a study on this. And it was interesting to find what everybody's definition of generosity was. In the younger crowd, their definition of generosity was giving of their time, giving of emotional support, and hospitality. But the further you got over toward the elder, the more the elders were saying, I think about 40% of them said that the majority of their generosity should be done through finances. And so it's interesting that, that generosity, and, and what we'll do is go, we can make excuses one way or the other. Well, I give X amount of dollars so I don't have to give my time. Or we'll say, well, I give X amount of time so I don't have to give my dollars. And what I'm saying is this, why does it have to be one or the other? These are all a part of us growing, as we'll see in just a moment. It's all a part of our growing in our faith. So if I easily give, but don't give them my time, if I give them my finances and don't give them my time, then I need to check my heart against my time. Or if I give them my time and I don't give my resources, then I got to check my heart and go, why is that? Is money more important to me than the things of God? Or is my time more important to me than the things of God? And I've always got to check my heart against these things because giving in general is an evidence of a generous heart. And we see that because it is always an issue of the heart. It's not of finances. Giving is always an issue of the heart, not of finances, because we can always do something, something. It's like when you pull up to the, to the red light and the, the guys at the corner or the ladies at the corner and you, something in your heart goes, I need to give to them. And you don't think you have anything, but what do you start doing? You start checking the cup holders. You start checking in the cushion. Man, if I could just give them 50 cents, it'll make a difference because there's a heart that's been moved toward that. It's when you watch a commercial on TV and your, your heart starts moving toward that because that's, it's an issue of the heart. He goes on. For they, had, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. So first of all, they gave according to their means. So first of all, for us, giving should be done in proportion to what we have. Giving should be done in proportion to what we have. So for some, God has richly blessed you. You have got a lot of expendable income. You've got a lot of extra money. You're, you're just, you're in a place that you've been blessed. And so when we give, there should be a proportion 
of that that we give. And so I believe in scripture, we can see, and there's debates about whether or not the tithe is a New Testament practice or not, or not. But, but when we look at Jesus and he dealt with the Pharisees and the religious crowd, and they came to him and said, we give a 10th of our deal and our cumin and all of our goods. We give of that. And, but, but what Jesus was telling them is when you do that, you do well, you're doing a good job. But don't neglect the other things. Don't neglect the giving your time. Don't neglect these other things. And so we see that Jesus never said, don't do 10%, but we also see that he affirmed that and he wanted us to give even over the abundance. So what we should do is look at the proportion of what gives us, or what God has given us, and as a means of habit and out of habit, we should give a percentage all the time. And I'm not preaching that it has to be 10% because I just believe that God wants to, God looks at your heart and he knows that you are moving in the right direction in this. And so 10% might be a lot, but for some you can say, hey, I'll try 5%. I'll try 2%. A few years ago, I, I preached on a message like this and I said, I'll tell you what, for the next 90 days, I'm not doing this, okay, just by the way, this is what I did back then. You missed it, you missed the opportunity. I said, for the next 90 days, I want you to try to give 10%. And if at the end of 90 days, God has not proven to you he's faithful and just and provide for you, you can come to us and we'll refund all that you gave over the next 90 days. There were people afterwards that told me I shouldn't have done that, so I'm not doing that again, okay? No, I'm kidding. Um, but but, but that, that's just, I believe that God will do that. He will, he will provide. So what proportion can you just start with? Or what proportion can you move up to? What proportion can you do? The early church started out every week if you read, they would come to the church and they would bring the first fruits. They would bring the first of all that they had and they would give it to the church so that they could provide for the ministries of the church, for the pastors of the church, and to the other ministries going outside the church. And by the way, this morning over in the Czech Republic, which is I think seven hours ahead of us, Tate and Nicole Kennedy, our missionaries to the Czech Republic, had their first gathering as a church in the Czech Republic thanks to your generosity. Because of you giving, yeah, thank you. Because of your giving, they were able to take the gospel and share the gospel in a place where the gospel is not heard, in a very dark part of the world. So it ought to be done in proportion. He goes on, and beyond their means of their own accord. So not only do they give according to their means and, and proportion or a percentage, they also gave above that. They gave sacrificially. They gave sacrificially. And this is where you and I were moved by something in the moment and we're willing to say, you know what? I will delay some gratification somewhere else or I will not have coffee out somewhere this week or I'll not go out to eat this week or I will not do this because I am so moved by what I just saw on TV or by a story I heard that I'll make a sacrifice over here in order to give to a cause that has moved my heart. And so this early church, this church in Mas these churches of Macedonia, they were moved to give in proportion to what they had, but even above and beyond what that proportion was. And it helps us always to remember and recognize from where all of the things that we have come from. It helps us to remember that. When we give sacrificially, whether it's the faith promise or as we're getting ready to build our food pantry building um, in the next few months, as we're getting ready to, to see that go up and get completed, man, there's some of you that are, that are willing to give sacrificially toward that because you already have. You already have, and we ought to be willing to do that. And he says, and also it was of their own accord, <clears throat> which as a pastor, I like this. 
I like this because their giving was a voluntary act. They didn't have to have the coaxing and they didn't have to have, um, you know, somebody begging and pleading, which that's hopefully not even how this is coming across today. I'm just giving you some motivations from scripture as to why Paul told the church of Corinth, hey, this is what the churches of Macedonia were doing. And so it ought to just be a voluntary act because we reflect upon what God has done for us. And we, as Grant even said earlier, that we give toward the mission and the vision here at Charity and the things that we're doing here. This was, it's, it's a result of understanding the joy in giving. And so these churches of Macedonia, they were doing it because they understand there's joy in that. And so as you look at this verse, he says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, the rest of that goes on and says, begging us earnestly for, for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Not only did they just give voluntarily, listen, they counted it as a privilege and not as an obligation. This was a privilege. This was a privilege. We have a privilege as a church, and those who participate in that, we have a privilege as a church to give toward our faith promise missions offering, and we have a privilege of being a part of the gospel going to the Czech Republic, to India, to Tanzania, to Brazil, to different parts of the world that we may or may not ever be able to go to, but yet we can take part in that, and it's a privilege and an honor to be a part of that. And as a side note, as we go to Tanzania every year, if you're like me, every year I come back, I get about 17 different friend requests from somebody in Tanzania or Kenya or somewhere nearby over there. I get, I get friend requests and you accept them just because you saw one person that was a mutual friend. You didn't even know who the mutual friend was. And what happens is, and it's happened a lot, and that's why I'm mentioning this to kind of help you understand something, that you might get solicited to send some money, okay? You might get solicited to send some money to help somebody who's got a sick child or, or has a, a need or whatever, they're starting a church, and you're gonna be moved toward that. But let me just tell you, you'll wanna, you'll wanna try to give toward them individually like that. There is a benefit of sending your money into the storehouse, the church, in the form of tithes and in the form of faith promise missions offering and allow us to vet those things because there are, there's, there's plenty of them out there that are just, they can, they can prey on you. And so don't, I mean, you do what you want, but if I was going to admonish you as a pastor, knowing kind of the, the nature of, of that, come see me, come see Sean, and let us give you a little bit of discernment on some of those issues. But I think it's always safe if you can give through your local church, whether it's charity or another church, and let the church leaders, let the, those who, who kind of know the system a little bit better, let them vet the process a little bit more to make sure that it's a valid um, place to give. So, but it is a privilege, and it's not an obligation. And he goes on, and this, not as we've expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And so it was also for them, it was an act of worship. Giving was an act of worship. Grant mentioned this too, just before the offering. He talked about this is a part of our service where we just, we just worship. Because you know why? God wants us to demonstrate that there's nothing in our life more important to him. And he knows that money and God are at tug of war many times in our hearts. Our money and God are, are at tug of war. And so when we give and when we, when we do that as an act of worship, we're saying, God, my money and my stuff, my career, none of those things 
are on the throne above you. And so money is, and, and giving and generosity is a way for us to deter against that. And he goes on here in verse six, he says, accordingly, we urged Titus, who was the collector, that as he had start, started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. The next verse he says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, and he starts listing things that are spiritual disciplines, he says, in your faith, in your speech, in your knowledge, and in all your earnestness and in love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So as you're going about your Christian development and your faith development, and you start devoting yourself to the things that are important, your Bible study, your um, uh, church attendance, your small group, all of those things, the disciple making, all of those things. Listen, make sure that giving is a part of your spiritual development. Make sure that giving is a part of that. So what he's saying is, he's saying you're excelling in all of these things. It's going to be easy for you to neglect this area of giving, but make sure you're excelling in this grace also. Don't neglect this for, to, and say that you're doing enough by doing the others. It's all of your spiritual development. Just like we want our kids to develop in this area, right? We want our kids to develop. That's why you teach your child at two years old how to share, how to give, and how to, how to be generous. I got a, we got a Charity Cares um, email. Somebody was out. It was a mom who had her daughter with her, and she was going through a checkout line. And while she was going through the checkout line, she decided to buy candy bars for the employees that were standing there. And she said it was not a big act, not a huge act, and you know, candy bars don't cost a lot. I mean, more than they used to, but they're not a lot. But gave, bought those candy bars and distributed them. You know why? Because she wanted her daughter to see her do that. She wanted to see her because she knows that that's a part of her development to learn to be generous. And as Christians, it ought to be a part of our spiritual development. We ought to let our kids even know how much and how often, and maybe not all the details, but that we are givers, that we demonstrate that so that we help them to develop, but it's also developing us. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is generous. So the final thing is this, giving is evidence of love. Giving is evidence of our love. God so loved the world that he did what? Gave his only son. He gave the best heaven had to offer. The only sacrifice that could be made for you and me was made through Jesus Christ by God sending and giving us his only begotten son. It demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, God, Jesus died for you and me. And so giving, when we give, it's evidence of our love. It's evidence. We say that we love people, then let's give. Let's be generous. We say that we love the gospel, let's give so the gospel can be heard around the world. We say that we love those in our community who need uh, food when they're, when they're in need. Hey, let's give toward the food pantry so that we can help that. Because the discipline of giving is one of the highest tests of sincerity in your spiritual growth. It's one of the highest tests of the only criticism I ever receive when I preach. And I can almost say this hundred percent is when I teach on giving. It's the only time I ever get a negative comment or a negative email. Do you know why? Because it's the thing that matters the most to us because it's connected to our heart. It's connected to our heart, this act of giving and this act of generosity. So for, for all of us, I think this discipline is one of the highest tests of our sincerity in our spiritual development. 
And so Paul says, you've got this example of the churches of Macedonia. You've got this example. Here's some things they did. These are, these are the things that they prioritized when it came to that life of giving. But just in case that doesn't matter to you, just in case it doesn't, let me tell you one more example. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus is our supreme example to what a sacrificial life ought to look like. In his richness in heaven, he made himself poor so that in our spiritual poverty, we could be made rich. We could be made to be heirs of the kingdom of God. We could be made to be sons and daughters of God and have all that heaven has to offer us through Jesus Christ becoming poor. He is our supreme example. Four questions for you. What story does your financial picture tell about your life and spiritual growth? If somebody were to, at the end of your life, preach your sermon based upon your generosity, what story would they tell? What is your primary motivation for giving? Maybe it was on the screen, one of the points I made. Maybe you've got another one. What is your primary motivation for giving? And how can that motivation help you create a consistent pattern of giving? I encourage you to start with a percentage, whatever that percentage might be. I would say start with 10, but you do whatever you feel like the Lord is leading you to do and just start with a percentage and see how God abundantly blesses you. And would you be willing to try to be a consistent percentage giver. Maybe give it a try. Maybe give it a try. And I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email. Send me a text. Uh, let me know. Hey, man, this is, this is going a lot better than I thought. God has really blessed the 90% or the 95% when I just started out giving that percentage to him. But if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, today we would love to share with you how you can have eternal life through him. Meet us back in the VIP room. Meet me down front right here. And I would love to talk to you about that. Let's all stand together. Father, thank you so much for the abundant generosity that you have toward us. Lord, it's humbling to think that while we were still in opposition and we were still sinners, that you sent your only son, the best heaven had to offer the only sacrifice that could be made, the greatest sacrifice you could make, you made for us. And Lord, as I talk on giving, you know all the stuff that goes on in my mind and my heart when I talk about this stuff. But God, I know it's biblical and I know it's something that's from your word. And so I just pray that you'll take the message today and use it for us to really grow in this area of spiritual growth. So do something in our hearts that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.